0: Well, we've been talking about being rooted in the Word of God and how to stand through the storms of life. And we're gonna continue with that theme. Um, you know, when you run from God, things don't go well. I was gonna be talking today about a subject called fire and rain, but I've decided to go back to one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it's a story of Jonah. And in the story of Jonah, you've got a very important lesson that tells us, about, um, tells us about Jesus, tells us about surrendering to the will of God, and it tells us about the blessings that come to ourselves and others as we do that, and the storms that we may encounter when we run from God and His will. Now, there's a statement that Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. Here the Lord says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It's interesting that Jesus said no sign would be given but the sign of Jonah. And here in the Bible, God tells us about Jonah and what happened with him. Now, the story of Jonah is a true story. And some people say, you know, Pastor Doug, how can you believe that story of Jonah? It reminds me of a man that was riding on a bus one day. And uh, he used to go home from work all the time. And there was his grandma that was on the bus. And um, he always saw her read in the Bible. Well, this man was an atheist. And they got to know each other because they rode the same bus every day. She'd go and babysit for her daughter and he'd be going... Home from work, and, and he said, Grandma, he said, I see you reading that Bible uh, every day riding the bus. And he said, um, Do you believe the Bible is true? And she said, Yes, sir, I believe it's true. He said, you, you really believe that God made the world in six literal days? She said, Yes, I do. The Bible says so. I believe it. And he said, no, pardon me. He said, It's, it's hard for me to comprehend, but you really believe that the Lord parted the Red Sea and the children of Israel went across? I do. God's word says it. I believe it. And you believe that Noah built the boat and there were two of all the animals on there? She said, at least two. Some of them were sevens. And he said, I suppose you believe that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. She said, God's word says it and I believe it. He said how could someone survive in a fish for three days and three nights she said well I don't exactly know when I get to heaven I'll ask Jonah he said well what if Jonah's not in heaven she said then I guess you'll have to ask him (laughs) but it's a true story that you find in the Word of God about the Prophet Jonah and so um, it begins by telling us that Jonah the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying arise and go to Nineveh that great city and preach against it for their wickedness the word that I'll give you. But Jonah didn't want to go. And so instead of arising and going to Nineveh he gets up and he goes the opposite direction and he goes to Tarshish. Now Tarshish was as far away as you could get in the known world back then. You know uh, you probably heard that marine song uh, where it talks about Timbuktu. Um, oh, actually, there's the shores of Tripoli. I'm thinking about something else. <laughs> Timbuktu actually was the furthest marine base at one time. And uh, you ever heard a person say, well, he went all the way to Timbuktu? Well, back in Bible's times, if you were gonna go somewhere that was just so far away, you would say Tim uh, Tarshish. Because Tarshish was on the coast of Spain just before you went out into the uh, Atlantic Ocean and they figured it was the ends of the earth. And it's really saying he's going as far away as he could possibly get. Now Nineveh, where he was being told to go, was east. He goes west. God's word says arise, but instead of arising, he goes down. The word of God is there to elevate you. Now the story of Jonah is a true story. One reason I know it's true is because Jesus says it's true. Some people say, you know, you can, you can believe in uh, evolution and still believe the Bible. I don't believe that. Because Jesus said, if you don't believe Moses, you don't believe me. And if you don't believe Jonah, you don't believe Jesus. Because Jesus talked about Jonah, that he's a real character. For one thing, you can also find reference to Jonah in the prophecies of Jonah, In 2 Kings 14, verse 25, tells about Jonah who lived during the reign of Jeroboam II between 790 and 750. He was a prophet typically to the Israelites. But now God is asking Jonah to go to the enemy and to prophesy doom and judgment on them. Now that would not be very popular. I mean, can you imagine like, you know, a Jewish prophet going through ISIS-held territory today telling them that their gods are all wrong, how long would they last? Well, that's about what he was expecting. And then he thought to himself, we don't care much for the Ninevites. They've not been very good to us. And if I don't go preach to them, then maybe God will judge them in good riddance. He didn't love his enemy. He wanted to see his enemy destroyed. So he gets up and he goes the opposite direction. Now, the Bible never says doing God's will is going to be easy but it will always be better. A number of the storms that you encounter in your life will be of your own making. And when Jonah ran from God, he encountered a storm. Now, that storm was due to his disobedience. It was a supernatural storm, but the storm came because God wanted to save him and save others through it. And you'll see before the story is over how that worked. So Jonah arises. And he flees to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, can you flee from God's presence? Have you read in Psalm 139, verse 7? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Where can you hide from God? You can't even hide from man now. There's cameras everywhere. (laughs) Almost everything you're doing, and someone's going to pull out a camera. And now people even pull out cameras to tape people that are taping others that are taping people with their cameras. (laughs) And so it's like everything's being recorded. But you know, that's not only with recent technology. The Bible tells us ever since the beginning, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth. Everything is being recorded. Jesus said in the judgment, you will give an account for every idle word that you speak. He even knows the thoughts of your heart. So nothing's hidden from the Lord how a prophet can think that he's going to run and hide from God is really absurd when you think about it but you know, in desperation maybe he thought out of sight out of mind if I just go another direction maybe God will find a different prophet so he gets up and he goes down to um, Joppa and um, from Joppa he maybe tells himself well maybe I can find a ship you know I uh, I'm going to look for providential openings. Maybe God will let me off the hook and I won't have to do His will and I won't have to bear this message. I tell you what, he starts making deals in his head. If I get to Joppa and I find that there's a ship going to Tarshish, I'll take it as a sign that everything's going to be okay and God will leave me alone. So he goes down to the harbor. Sure enough, there's a ship that's going to Tarshish. Tarshish was my mother's maiden name. Uh, My mother's Jewish. And my grandfather says that we're related to Jonah, but he also told us a lot of other stories I don't believe, so I'm not so (laughs) sure of that. (laughs) And uh, then he thinks, well, there's a ship, but maybe there's no room on the ship. If there's a ship and there's room for at least one more passenger, so he inquires at the ship, the boarding plank, and they say, yeah, it just so happens we got room down in the bottom on the stern for one more person. He says, oh, great, and then he thinks, Well, maybe I don't have the money. How much is it? And he says, Lord, if I've got enough money and they've got room, I'll take it as a sign that everything's okay and it's okay that I don't do your will. And they say, well, it's, you know, five shekels. And sure enough, he digs around in his pocket. He's got just enough. And so he starts to feel like, well, look, this is providential. God is going to just forget what the word of the Lord said, you know, and he's going to let me go and I'll be off the hook. I I really didn't want to go talk to my enemy you know the Bible tells us that you have to pay a fare it says Jonah paid the fare and he went into the ship he went down to Joppa he went down into the ship he's getting ready to go down one more time when you run from God you tend to go down 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 you know what they say about a drowning victim they'll bob to the surface about three times and they go down and so he gets down in the ship and he figures oh everything's okay um, Even the weather's good. So they take off, gentle breeze, sun's going down, he's taking a sunset cruise and he thinks, hey, this isn't so bad. He actually drifts off into a deep, peaceful sleep. Is that how we determine the will of God, by circumstances? A lot of people talk themselves into believing that when they're disobeying God, somehow it's okay. You'd think a prophet would know better you would think a church member would know better, but I've done counseling before where I'll have a couple come talk to me, and it's a man and his girlfriend, they're both cheating on their wives, and they'll say, Brother Doug, you know, we've, we've both filed for divorce. We, we married the wrong people, and this is my secretary, and we just click, and we study the Bible together, and we just have such peace about a relationship. We know what the commandment says, But we just see the Lord is in this. Now you might think, I'm making this up. I am serious. I can't count how many times people have told me things like this where they've got themselves convinced that the word of the Lord doesn't really mean what it says. God's word does not need changing. We need changing. And especially for Seventh-day Adventists living in the last days, you're going to be under incredible pressure from the Christian world When they start to say, why are you making such a big deal out of one commandment? As long as you keep a seventh day, does it really matter if it's the seventh day? And if you're worshiping God and you're sincere and you're going to tell me that God hasn't blessed us in our services over all those hundreds of Sundays, thousands of Sundays, who do you think you are? I mean, the arguments are great. And you're going to have to say, That all may be great, but let me tell you what the Bible says. Thus says the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will not pass away. And God doesn't say a seventh day. He says the seventh day. And you're going to have to know how you can be firmly planted and rooted on the word of God. The Bible says in the last days the deceptions are going to be so convincing that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. You're going to have to know not only what you believe, but how to defend what you believe. And Jonah somehow, a prophet of God, a bright star in Israel, was getting ready to go down. Somehow convinced himself he didn't really have to do the word of God. Now that's another thing, is why we're talking about the word of God. I've met a lot of people that seem to have last day chronology really clear in their minds, but they've not surrendered their hearts. the living in disobedience in some other area and they figure as long as I'm studying the times and the seasons and the prophecies I can live in defiance to God's Word in this area. You know for all you know Jonah was eating vegetarian meals on his cruise. Did that justify his running from God? So there are blessings that go with every area of obedience, but don't think because you're obeying God and conservative in these areas that that somehow gives you permission to be defiant of the Word of God in this area. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by most of the words that proceed from the mouth of God. Every word. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Don't be hearers of the word, and not doers deceiving yourselves. God wants us to make him his, our Lord, which means we obey him. So Jonah's running from God, and you know what? He's enjoying the first part of his cruise. There are pleasures that go along with sin, but they do not last. I used to drink. I didn't quit drinking because I didn't enjoy some of the effects of drinking. Sometimes it felt good that, you know, lightheaded, happy feeling of being intoxicated. I didn't quit smoking because I had emphysema. I enjoyed smoking. I even, while I was smoking, I could hold my breath for four minutes. I could. So I didn't quit because of that. I enjoyed it. I quit because I knew God wanted me to. So there's certain pleasures in sin. The prodigal son ran away from home. He had a good time for a while. He had riotous living. We don't know. It might have been months or even years. But eventually the famine will come and he got hit with a storm that landed him in a pig pen. So Jonah's enjoying the first part of his cruise. Seems like everything's going fine. But you can't run from God. Jeremiah 23, 23 I am God. I'm a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I will not see him? You ought to underline that one. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I don't see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth and the sea? But the Lord loved Jonah, and in an effort to save Jonah, even those with him, he sends a storm. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest. Notice it's not just any kind of a wind or any kind of a tempest. It's a great wind and it is a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship was about to be broken up. Now the Phoenicians made some pretty good boats. And uh, this storm was so severe that just it came on them. It was almost like a supernatural squall. And the waves were beating against the ship, and they could feel as it went up on the crest of one wave, and then part of the boat went over the crest, and all the forces were pivoting on one point. They could hear it creak and groan, and then it would dive down into the trough, and the canyon of the next wave, and come up again. And they felt all the g forces and pulling them and groaning the ship again, and and they water starting to come in through the seams, and they're bailing as fast as they can. The men were afraid for their lives. Why does God send storms? We're often saved through the trouble that God gives us. Sometimes He disciplines us through storms. Hebrews 12, 5, Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens, and He scourges every son whom He receives. Job 5, 7, happy is the man that God corrects, therefore do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. Psalm 119, I know, this is verse 75, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Because he loves you. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So, there can be struggles. You know, it's in storms that we often find the Lord. Have you ever read uh, Psalm 107? I'm gonna go there real quick. Psalm 107, I think it's gonna begin with verse 23. There's actually a hymn in our hymn books that talks about those that go down into the sea. They see the works of the Lord i well, go to verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on the great waters, they see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commands and He raises the stormy wind, which lifts the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of, the, because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. You ever seen people try and walk in on the deck of a ship? My father used to take our family on cruises periodically out of uh, Fort Lauderdale or Miami. And he'd he'd just bring the whole family and we'd all go on cruise. And once or twice we got stuck in a storm. And you've got all these retirees that are there just trying to relax and the ship is pitching and rolling. You see them, they're (laughs) kind (laughs) of... And they're not drunk. They're just staggering like they're drunk because the ship is rocking. So I know exactly what uh, the prophet's talking about here. Their soul melts. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. They're at their wit's end. Then they cry to the Lord. Notice in the storm. In their trouble. Sometimes you have to get a burden on your back before you get on your knees. Sometimes you need a heavy load. Sometimes it takes a storm. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distress. He calms the storm so its waves are still. Then they are glad because they're quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Yes, he sends storms sometimes. He sends trouble because he loves us. Now, you're wise if you learn from your mistakes. You're wiser still if you learn from the mistakes of others. Don't run from God. Learn from Jonah that it doesn't go well. God sent out a violent storm and they were all terrified. The Bible tells us it's through tribulation we will enter the kingdom of God. A gem is not polished by just leaving it alone. It's polished by rubbing. And a man cannot be made perfect without trials. We're often gonna go through these things. So the mariners were afraid and they cried every man to his God. This is a small g and they cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down in the sides of the ship, and he lay, and he was fast asleep. Now, Jonah here, picture this. He's in this ship that is about to be destroyed. All the sailors are up on the deck praying. They are ready to sacrifice everything. They're throwing all their valuables overboard. The one who knows the living God who caused the storm, what is he doing? He's asleep. You know, one reason the story of Jonah is in the Bible, it's a message to the Jewish nation that he wanted them to reach the Gentiles, they knew the living God, and they were often sleeping when they should have been praying. Sometimes the children of the world pray better than the children of light. I've got a friend I play racquetball with, he's a, a Muslim. And sometimes he'll disappear in the middle of a set of games and he goes into another room and he prays. And then he comes back. And I think, you know, while I would respectfully disagree with his religion and how he worships, uh, I admire his devotion. There's a lot of Christians I know that don't pray five times a day. The Bible says morning evening and at noon will I pray. Daniel prayed three times a day. Daniel read Psalm 55:17. What's your devotional life like? Sailors, the pagans are up there on the deck praying. They don't even know God. The one who knows Jehovah is snoring. Have you ever noticed that the crucial times in biblical history, God's people are often asleep? Just before Jesus talks to Moses and Elijah on top of the mountain, he wants his disciples to pray with him, but they were heavy with sleep. In the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross, he says, pray with me and they go to sleep because the spirit's willing but the flesh is weak. And Jesus, speaking of the second coming, he said it's like these ten virgins and 100% were asleep. When the cry is heard, the bridegroom is coming. But you don't have to be asleep. Paul said you are not children of the night, you are children of the day, so you should be awake and you should be watching. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, five times I think he says, watch 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 lest that day come and overtake you as a thief or lest he come and find you sleeping he wants us to be awake peter says be sober be vigilant your, da- de- your adversary the devil is going around as a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour who we can resist steadfast in the faith but we got to be awake spiritually awake that's we got to keep each other awake matter of fact you might just elbow the person next to you right now and just see, are you awake <laughs> no, don't do that they might disrupt their dreams <laughs> so here he's sleeping before judgment they're praying Jonah's snoring this is where I think the story gets really interesting so the mariners were afraid and they cried out every man to his God and they cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea they were willing to unload. Are you willing to unload? You know, one of the ways that people get trapped is by materialism. We, we end up collecting stuff. Karen and I just kind of went through a, a little bit of a crisis because Nathan is the youngest of our tribe and after he went to college we realized we don't need quite as much house anymore and so we downsized. But after living in the same house for 23 years, and you move into a smaller house with less storage well i tell you it was a crisis of faith i'll tell you a law of life it's not in the bible but just take my word for it whatever space you have will fill mm, that's the truth <laughs> it is true whatever space you have you will fill it with something so if you want to be full of the lord You've got to make a conscious effort because if you do not choose to fill yourself with the Lord, that space is going to be filled with something else. And so that's why we've got to make conscious efforts to feed on the Word of God. But they were willing to throw it all overboard because what profit is it if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? They were willing to sacrifice everything. I was telling you uh, my testimony last night and... Um, you know, I mentioned I had a brother that had cystic fibrosis, and uh, he lasted until 35, which is pretty good. I think the odds are even better today, but that was good for back then. Um, and I remember shortly before my brother's final illness, we went—I went to see him in Miami Beach, and he would walk around the he used to run around the um, golf course to try to clear his lungs out so he could keep breathing. And, he couldn't really run he was walking he'd stop and he'd cough and he'd walk a little more now i'm the black sheep of the family i mean i i ran away and did the whole hippie drug thing and in and out of jail and it just yeah i was definitely the the prodigal um my brother went to college stayed at home tried to work for dad as long as his health would afford had a nice home on the water in miami beach the boat the nice car had all that stuff and we're walking around the golf course my brother says, "Doug, you're lucky." He said, uh, "And life is not fair." He said, "Here, I'm so smart, and I'm sick." And he said, "And you're so healthy, but you're stupid." <laughs> and because you know, brothers can do that. And he said, "I would give everything I have if I could have your lungs." and live a little longer. That's why he used to get so mad at me when I smoked. He said, man, I'm trying to take care of the lungs I've got. And he says, you got healthy lungs and you're wrecking them. He said, I'd give everything I have if I could have your lungs and live a little longer. And I thought to myself, he would give up every earthly possession for just a little more of this life, and yet we're sometimes reluctant to sacrifice anything for Jesus and everlasting life, not only for ourselves, we're reluctant to give it up that others might have everlasting life. You know, we've got the resources to spread the gospel, the problem is that they're still in our pockets. In the last days when the Lord comes, the vast part of the wealth of God's people is probably going to end up being useless because we tend to hoard. But when those sailors realized they were going down, all that stuff was just sinking them. They threw it overboard. When I lived up in the mountains, periodically it's very rugged terrain people frequently got lost and uh, sometimes they'd say Doug can you show us up Talkwitz Canyon and I knew it pretty well I'll say yeah you know I'd meet them I'd say all right I'll meet you at the market such and such a day and time I had no cell phone and I'd meet them there at the market and They'd have this big, tall backpack with a sleeping bag strapped on top. You know, they got a sleeping bag that's good for 40 below zero. And I said, you realize we're in the desert of Palm Springs. You probably don't need a 40 below zero sleeping bag. And then they'd have the backpack full of canned food. And I'd say, you know, that stuff's kind of heavy. And they'd have their camera and they had their canteen and their thermos and they'd have beer and all kinds of, you wouldn't believe the things that people brought or tried to bring. I met one guy that carried a 10-speed bicycle up into the canyon and there's nowhere to ride it. <laughs> I'm serious. I don't know that he was well, but he did. He brought a 10-speed bicycle up there. And as we'd be hiking up the first really steep spot, it's like 45 degrees, you know, an hour, zig-zag back forth up and down the hill in the desert, out in the sun, they'd start saying, oh, this is getting heavy. Uh, and they'd be huffing and puffing, you know, and I used to just go. And they'd go, you know, 20 yards. They'd say, can we rest? Uh, you know, go another 20, can we rest? And I'd say, well, you know, I told you, you didn't need all that stuff. And so they'd start looking for rocks where they could hide. They'd say, well, maybe I could just stick this under here, and I'll stick that under there, and I'll get it on my way down. Well, the short version of the story is when I first moved into the mountains, I had one sleeping bag, one frying pan, one pot, a fork, knife, spoon, when I left a year and a half later, I had 13 sleeping bags. <laughs> I had enough pots and pans and silverware and things. I could open a restaurant. <laughs> I mean, people just, they realized, hey, I'm going to die up here. I need to unload. Suddenly, this precious camping gear they bought, these tents and things they bought, this—what what profit is it if I die up here through exhaustion <laughs> with my tent, you know? And they just started unloading this stuff. Sometimes that's what it takes. We've got to reach a crisis and a storm before we start realizing what really matters. I told you that some of our friends in California just lost their homes in this fire. And they said it really helps you prioritize when you lose everything in a fire. And there's things you miss, and there's no doubt tears, but I'll tell you, Christians handle it a lot better because they know it's all going to burn eventually we're not going to take it with us and all the stuff you're saving for your kids you think they really want it all they just don't have the heart to tell you they don't want it all (laughs) they don't want to seem unappreciative because there might be a couple things they want but they don't want most of it the money they want the stuff they don't want (laughs) now the memories throwing it overboard and while they're looking for new things to throw overboard the shipmaster begins to go below deck. The captain, this is Jonah 1:6, and while he's looking for something else, he finds Jonah and He says, "What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise and call on thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not." Now this is where the story gets very interesting for me. Jesus said, "No sign would be given, but the sign of Jonah." And now the captain wakes up Jonah, and he says. Arise that we do not perish. Was Jesus asleep in a boat during a storm? Did they wake him up and say, Master, carest thou not that we're perishing? No sign will be given but the sign of Jonah. Not only that, the Bible says Jonah was in the bottom of the ship and it says Jesus was in the rear, in the stern. That's the lowest part of the ship. In a storm, both asleep. Wake him up that we might not perish. Finally, he comes staggering up on deck and he sees the the melee of the storm around him and the sailors are on their knees, they're praying and everybody's kind of clinging to something on the deck as the boat is pitching and rocking in every direction and they realize this is a supernatural storm. So they cast lots to find out for whose cause this storm has come upon them. Do you remember something about casting lots at the cross? And the lot fell on Jonah. Now they're not exactly sure, but they have a suspicion. One of the ways they used to do this in Bible times is there was a like a clay jar and it had a narrow mouth and they'd take all these stones that were about the same size and they'd have all these black stones and one white one. And uh, Karen and I were just on a beach in, in uh, Maui a, a few uh, weeks ago and we, it was a very odd looking beach because Everything on the beach was formed either by the white coral or the black lava. And it looked like a chessboard. The rocks were all all black or all white. I took a picture of it. I said this is very odd. Nothing in between. Because they either were formed by water or fire. Kind of strange, huh? So they take these stones and they put all, you know, if they're 20 sailors they'd put 19 black ones in and they put one white one in and they'd drop out one at a time in front of each of the participants and whoever got the stone the lot fell on him that was one of a few ways they would cast lots we call it drawing straws whoever gets the short stick or the short straw and so they had this method of trying to determine the gods are angry they thought and it's a supernatural storm and the Lord needs to pinpoint for us who is the culprit here Joan already knew how this was going to end didn't he For one thing, he's a prophet, so he already knows. And sure enough, they cast lots. He's probably not even looking. He knows what's going to happen. He's running from God. He caused the storm, and the lot falls on him. You know, there are 13 questions in the book of Jonah. They get ready to ask him seven questions now. For whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? I'm a messenger of God. The trouble's because of sin. Where would you come from? I'm fleeing from the presence of God, if you have to know. Why would you flee from the presence of God? Whole purpose of salvation is to live in the presence of God. Do you know why we're in trouble today? God went looking for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They fled from His presence. God never ran from us. Keep. Let's get the record straight. We ran from Him. First question in the Bible: well, the First question is the devil saying, "Hath God said?" The devil questioning the word of God. The next question is God saying, "Where are you?" First question in the New Testament: The wise men are saying, "Where is He?" We've been separated because of sin. God has been pursuing us, and if we'd stop running from Him, said, so "I ran from the presence of God." What is your country? Israel. Who are your people? I'm a Hebrew. He said, I'm a Hebrew. And this really made him nervous. I worship the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Well, they were having problems with the sea at that very moment. They said, ah, that explains everything. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, by the way, you notice that exceedingly afraid? That very phrase is used with the storm and Jesus and the apostles. After Jesus calms the storm, it says they were exceedingly afraid. They were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, Why have you done this? Now, he doesn't really answer that question. Why would you run from God? Why would you want your will instead of God's will? Do you really even logically think that you know the future better than he does? Do you really believe that your plan for your life is better than God's plan for your life? Do you realize even just thinking that is idiotic? That's like saying, I'm a better God than he is. Of course, it's going to end badly if you run from God and you say, my plan is going to be better than your plan. We end up self-destructing when we do that. Finally, they said, what shall we do to you that the sea might be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. You notice it keeps saying it's getting more tempestuous. He tells them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will be calm for you. This is Jonah 1, verse 12. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. You know, all, all of the storms and trouble that you have in life is really because of the devil's anger for Christ and his people. It's all because of a great controversy between good and evil. And you and I have been caught up in the war, whether you like it or not, so you may as well choose the, la- the winning team. Amen. It's all because of me. And Christ said, If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Now I thought, why didn't Jonah just jump overboard? Why did he say, You've got to offer me? Because Jonah's a type of Christ in this story, and we must realize that we are responsible. All of us, in a sense, crucified the Lord. He didn't just die for the sins of the whole world, he died for my sins. My sins personally are responsible for the sufferings and death of Christ and yours are. And we all need to realize that it was for us. It's like Peter had that epiphany there in the garden or in the tomb, I'm sorry, during the trial of Christ when he turns and he looks at Jesus in the judgment hall and Peter denies Christ for the third time and then a soldier hits Christ and Peter somehow realized that Jesus was being bludgeoned for his sins. And that broke his heart. He went out and he wept bitterly. He finally took personal responsibility for the sufferings of Christ. And once we realize Jesus really died for us, it's easier to love him. Not just that he died for this big, kind of general nebulous world out there. He knew you, he saw you, he died for you, for your sins. Jonah said, you've got to take me up. You need to throw me overboard. Well, they didn't want to do that. It's interesting that these pagans are more civilized than some of God's people. If they were church members, they would have thrown them over right away. <laughs> but they row hard. Now, we don't want to do that. They row hard to return to land, but they could not. Do you remember during the storm, the disciples tried to save themselves by rowing, and they couldn't do it. The sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. So when they had rowed about, you can see this where the disciples rowed and they finally saw Jesus walking in the water. We talked about that. Finally, they got ready to throw him overboard. Jonah 1.14, They cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, we pray, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. Do you find that phrase at the cross? What did Pilate say? I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Pilate also was a pagan, and he didn't want to be responsible. For you, O Lord, has done as it pleased you. This is what the sailors say. Does it say in Isaiah 53, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him for our sake. You start looking at the story of Jonah, and you realize that it is just exploding with meaning in the gospel. So the men took up Jonah, and they had one on each hand and one on each foot they said one two three they hurled him over the side and he went splashing down into the water and the sea instantly ceased its raging does that sound familiar did Christ calm the sea it was through the sacrifice of Jonah that they found peace it is through the sacrifice of Jesus that we find peace And when the sea was calmed, instantly, as soon as the sea swallowed up Jonah, it flattened out, the clouds parted, the wind stopped, the moon was shining. And then it says those sailors, they got on their knees and they made offerings and vows to Jehovah. It doesn't say gods, small g. It's the capital, the name of God. They suddenly realized they needed to worship the God who made everything that Jonah's God was a God even in running from God Jonah is converting the lost can God work all things together for good so now Jonah's storm gets really bad and uh, I remember reading a story by Max Licato about Chippy the parakeet who was minding his own business one day in his cage tweeting having a great time And his owner, the lady, decided to clean his cage. And so after she took the newspaper out, she decided to vacuum up all the seeds and other debris. And then the phone rang. And you know, if you're gonna vacuum, she pulled the little nozzle off the vacuum so you could get it up real quick. And the phone rang and she turned to reach for the phone and the edge of the cage hit the nozzle of vacuum. The bar of the vacuum tilted up and she heard (coughs) And Chippy was gone. Quickly, she hung up the phone, and she turned off the vacuum cleaner. She opened up the vacuum, took out the bag, opened up the bag, and there with all of the dust and the crumbs and the pieces of carpet was a very dazed-looking chippy, (laughs) but still alive. And she felt so bad, she took him to the kitchen sink and turned on the water. She realized she had left the hot water on, so first it was too hot, so then she flipped over to the cold water, and she's rinsing him off. And then he was shivering, so she got the (laughs) hairdryer. She turns on the hairdryer and she blew him off. And she put a very dazed, puffed up little bird back in his cage. She told it to a friend who told it to a local reporter who wrote the story. He asked a few days later, how's Chippy doing? And she said, well, he seems to be okay, but he just stares out the window and he doesn't really sing anymore. (laughs) Have you ever felt like you've been sucked up, washed over, blown over? (laughs) Been through a storm? Jonah's storm, it was over for the sailors but it was really beginning for him. The Bible says that God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in that fish for three days and three nights. Now, very quickly, some people have wondered about the three days and three nights. And they say, Bible must not be true. Jesus died on Friday, rose on Sunday. That's Friday night, Saturday night. That's not three nights. And it distinctly says three days and three nights. And Jesus said there in Matthew 12, three days and three nights. So the Bible must not be right. And I've met people who have tried to change the date and the time for the crucifixion because they figured um, uh, maybe it must have been Wednesday. You ever run into this before? Yeah. You know where their problem is when he says, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. They think the heart of the earth means the tomb only, and it doesn't. Nowhere in the Bible does it call the tomb the heart of the earth. You don't find that anywhere. The heart of the earth is describing the sufferings of christ which include the tomb but his suffering for sin when the father withdrew from jesus and like jonah he began to suffer jonah was alive for his suffering jesus was alive for his suffering the penalty for sin is really not just death it's suffering according to what you deserve in death and there, Thursday night in the garden, Christ was betrayed. Three times he says to the disciples, now is the hour, now is the hour, now is the hour. Several times in his life before that, he said, this is not my hour. But finally, after the New Testament is sealed in the upper room, he gets to the garden, he says, now is the hour. He said, Father, not my will, thy will be done three times. And the third time, he told the disciples, it started, you may as well wake up. The crowd came. They arrested him, and for the first time, Jesus did nothing to save himself. Every other time, he just passed through the mob. This time, he let the mob take him. And they began to brutally treat him and spit on him and pull out his beard and whip him and all the suffering that went with the penalty for our sins. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, he was in the heart of the earth. He was in the clutches of the devil. That word, their heart, is cardia. You recognize that, like cardiac arrest. It means the heart. The earth there means the world. The devil is called the prince of this world. The father withdrew his protection from Jesus. And the, the Lord was in the hands of the devil and his minions for three days and three nights, like Jonah was taken by the sea monster. And Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in the digestive system of a big creature? We don't even know if it was a whale. It could have been a baleen whale can't eat a man, a sperm whale can, sperm whale eat giant squid, we don't know what it was, I don't have a problem worrying about what kind of fish it was, the Bible says the Lord prepared a fish, it was a supernatural storm, it could have been a supernatural fish, a few days later he had a supernatural gourd, so I mean you know God did it, I'm not worried about that, but that fish could have eaten something else before he ate Jonah too, Maybe he had some jellyfish. You ever been stung by a jellyfish? Some little octopus in there, little suction cups all over his body in the dark. Bioluminescent things flashing, sea urchins, who knows what was in there, sushi? (laughs) Can you imagine being sloshing around in that hot, stinking? I can't stand the smell of fish. I go to a Thai restaurant, I tell them three times, no fish sauce, no oyster sauce. I've learned to say it in four languages. I don't want any. <laughs> because you get that, it's just it's on your breath all day. I can't imagine being in that fish for three days and three nights. But you know, this is a wonderful story because Jonah is now suffering the result of his running from God. And God finally got his attention. And he prayed. Now, you might think, I've messed up my life and I've gone so far. I am so far from God. I am down at the bottom of the mountains. Can you describe anybody in the Bible who was further from God than Jonah when Jonah was in the fish at the bottom of the ocean? But Jonah prayed from there. Did God hear his prayer? Can you turn to the Lord wherever you are? Will He hear you? Can He change your circumstances no matter how hopeless? I mean, who would have thought that story was going to end well when Jonah was down there at the bottom of the ocean? Don't underestimate what God can do. And when Jonah prayed, he he let Jonah suffer for a few days. Jonah prayed, and it took a while. God doesn't always answer your prayer right when you pray. He knows the best time, but after three days and three nights, God spoke to the fish. And the fish was given an inspired burp. And you know, God is loving because the fish could have burped him out right where he was in the middle of the ocean, but he took him to shore. Isn't God good? That fish beached himself and then burped him out. I, I heard one preacher say, a hypocrite will even make a whale sick. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, Jonah, you've been, you've been through a lot. I'm going to change my word for you. And so you just take some R&R right now. You need to recover after that last cruise. Is that what the word of the Lord said? The word of the Lord said, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh and do what I told you the first time. Now wouldn't it have been better for Jonah if he had listened to the word of the Lord the first time he heard the word of the Lord? you young people you're thinking you know I I know I want to be a Christian I want to serve the Lord but hey I've finally gotten out of the house my parents aren't looking over my shoulder I want to get out there and you know find out for myself what's going on and you think you're gonna take a side trip and then come back when you feel like it do you really want to take a detour through a fish (laughs) because if you know the Word of God and you're not surrendering to God you're gonna hit a storm Do you realize when Jonah was running from God other people were perishing? While Jonah was running from God, until he surrendered, the sailors were dying. The Ninevites were dying. It wasn't until Jonah surrendered to God that people started being converted. Not only were the sailors saved, you know the story, Jonah goes to Nineveh and you have the biggest revival in the Bible. This one preacher goes into Nineveh and a whole city with 120,000 children is converted and saved. It even says the animals repent. Matter of fact, as you look at the story of Jonah, it's incredible. Everything in the story of Jonah listens to God. The sailors listen to God. The storm listens to God. The captain listens to God. The fish listens to God. The worm listens to God. The gourd listens to God. The Ninevites listen to God. The king listens to God. The animals listen to God. The only one who doesn't listen to God in the story of Jonah is Jonah. You know what it makes me think of? It's not only a lesson for the Jewish nation, it's a lesson for the church today. We are feasting among ourselves with the bread of life while these beggars lay at our gate, desiring the crumbs that fall from our table. And we may discover that in the judgment, they're sitting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're on the outside. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is not just another church. God has given this movement, the truth. We have the bread of life. And a lot of us, like Jonah, are running from God, and he's got a mission for us. But it doesn't begin until we surrender. You know, I usually start with an amazing fact. I thought I'd end with my amazing fact this time. March in uh, 2015, outside of Lagos, Nigeria, a tugboat with 12 sailors was making its way about 10 miles out off the coast, they got hit by a freak wave and capsized. 11 out of the 12 drowned. The cook, Harrison O'Keen, was below deck when it all happened. And all of a sudden, he realized the boat had turned upside down and everything was all disoriented, water began to rush in. He saw two of his friends get sucked out of the boat. He instinctively went up, which ended up being towards the bottom of the ship and he found himself in a pocket of air, and he was there 100 feet below the surface on the seafloor, wondering how long he would last. For three days and three nights, he was there in the dark praying, and he was claiming a promise because his wife, who was unsure, a Christian, texted him a scripture that was on his phone And it was a quote that said, Oh God, by your name, save me. The Lord sustains my life. Well, Harrison was down there in the dark and gradually the oxygen was depleting. And, you know, even though you're near the equator, when you get 100 feet down, the water's cold. And so he wondered how long he could hold off against the hypothermia. Sitting in there in the dark praying, said, Lord, perform a miracle. Please save me well three days later this recovery crew had been sent in to recover the bodies of the sailors and they went down with this special equipment to the bottom of the um, ocean they're going up through the ship they'd already recovered a few bodies and they get up into this one room harrison he's running out of air he wonders if he's hallucinating all of a sudden the water begins to glow green below him And he was scared because he thought he had heard sharks bumping against the outside of the ship. He didn't know if one of them had found its way in or what was going on. Then bubbles began to come up. Then he saw the helmet of this guy come up and he was so scared, the guy in the diving suit was expecting to find bodies and a hand reached out and grabbed him. (laughs) They've actually got a YouTube because he had a camera running when it was all happening and you can even see the look on Harrison's face when he finally brings his mask up into the pocket of air and there is this very surprised and happy and exhausted survivor. He had been down there praying for three days. Can God work miracles? Yeah, there's a picture, that's the actual picture of Harrison O'Keefe. Can God still work miracles in your life? When things seem hopeless, can He save you from the storm? Do you want to run from the Word of God? Do you think your plan is better? Before we close this segment of our our weekend together, you know, I always like to pray. And if there's some of you here today and you're thinking, you know, I really need to surrender my life to the Lord. I don't want to run from God. And you're willing to do that right now. Before we close with prayer, would you be willing to stand where you are and just say, Lord, I want to surrender. I want to serve you and do your Word and your will. He not only wants us to come to him because he loves us and he wants to save us, like Jonah, he wants to save other people through you. And God will work things together for good in your life. Father in heaven, we just thank you for the presence of your spirit. We thank you for the story in your word that you can change hearts and lives. I pray that you'll be with each one of these dear people, Lord. I don't know exactly what the uh, particulars are, of how they may be struggling to surrender to your word and give themselves over to you fully, but help them to do that. I pray you'll work miracles. Pour out your spirit on this campus, Lord. Let there be another reformation among your people, turning back to you in prayer and in your word, a willingness to take you to the ends of the earth. We know Jesus is coming soon, and we wanna be ready, Lord. We thank you and pray all this in Christ's name, amen. This media was brought to you by AudioVerse,